Heavenly Father, we, we have so many needs. In fact, we are creatures of need. Not a day goes by that we are not depending on something outside of ourselves. Today is no different, but yet you are the same as well. Your love is more constant than the sun, and your presence more than the air that we breathe. We pray today that you would speak to us in a very special way. We don't want the blessing of yesterday, we want the blessing of today. And we pray that this man, who is but dust in your sight, that you would use him, and that you would breathe upon him breath of God, and you would fill him with new life, so that the words that come out of his mouth would show us Christ, and as we see Jesus, we would not resist as, he is, as we are drawn to him, and he is lifted up. This is our prayer, and we trust that you will help this to be our experience, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. We're going to be looking at that again a little more closely. Genesis chapter 1, dealing with lessons from creation, much to learn. So the Bible says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved in the midst of chaos. And we went on to see in verse 3 that the Bible says, Then God said, Let there be light. So we pick up from this very notion that though the earth is in chaos, it is without form and void. This thing is at the very height, at the very edge of nothingness. This is like the worst scenario, the worst situation, on top of the fact that it's in darkness. And yet we find that this young Hebrew boy, as he's learning Hebrew, reading Genesis for the first time, he learns that his God is not afraid of chaos. There is no situation that stumps God. There is no problem, there is no tragedy, there is no crisis in your life that God says, I can't handle this. I might have to step back from this situation. I don't know if I can get my hands dirty to help you out of this situation that you are in. You could not have gone to such depths of darkness and chaos and maybe even utter oblivion as the earth was in that God feels that he can do nothing. And so this God is not afraid of your chaos. He's not afraid of your problem. He's not afraid of your crisis. But the Bible says not only does the Spirit of God move, but there are many times that as we go through the various crises of life, we don't want to just see God move. We want to hear Him. This is why most of us struggle to pray. is because we cannot bear the silence of God. How many times has I prayed to you for my parents to get back together? I've seen no change. How many times have I prayed that you would help me overcome this temptation, and yet I fall time and time again? As I told you yesterday or last night, I went to speak at an academy several years ago, 
And after I'd spoken a message on the grace of God and the power of the grace of God, not this fluffy grace we talk about, unmerited favor. That's a surface definition. So after we finished discussing and studying on the grace of God, the principal and the chaplain and the pastor pulled me aside and they said, Sebastian, we need to talk to you. It's very urgent. And I thought I'd spoken some sort of heresy or something. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's the end of my week of prayer. But they said, no, 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 we're not concerned with their messages. Their messages have been a blessing. I said, okay, praise the Lord. So how can I help you? And they said, well, we have a student. He's 15. And he has um, been struggling with the issue of masturbation. He's been caught several times by staff. He's been caught several times by other students. And as we've sat him down, we haven't told his parents. And we said, listen, you know, do you want to get over this? He said, yes, I want to get over it. I don't want to deal with pornography. I don't want to deal with masturbation. He says, I'm trying, but I just don't know how to stop. So they said, listen, we're just wondering, you know, would you be willing to sit down and talk to him and Give us some counsel. How do we handle this situation? He says he wants to quit, but he's just struggling. And I believe him. He's sincere. We tell him, study the Bible, read the Bible, pray, you know, claim these promises, and it does not work. And some of us may wonder like this young man, how many times do I have to pray before you move, God? As if you're not interested in helping me in my situation. And this is why many of us cease to pray. Because nothing changes. And we cannot bear the silence or the indifference of God. And so the Bible says that, yes, the Spirit of God moves, but God also speaks. And it's unique to hear God speak because God is not like your mom. He's not going to come and speak and you say, honey, I know that it's a rough situation and she can rub your shoulder and try to console you and comfort you and say, it's going to be all right. Somehow God's going to work this out. That's all nice and well and good, but that doesn't change the situation. God's not like that. God's not like your dad who can come and say, listen, son, we're going to get through this. I'll do what I can on my side to try to help this thing reconcile. But here again, even your dad is limited. But it is unique for a person who believes in the Bible. For God to speak something is very significant according to creation. For God to answer, to open his mouth is a serious divine act. Permit me to explain. In verse 3, the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And what are those next four words? And there was light. Now, in this situation, you say, when God spoke, let there be light, was he on a drafting table and he took out some photons or whatever matter he had or nothing and in just in thin air, God just started cutting out pieces of light and sharpening this thing and say, let there be light. Or when God said, let there be light, was it like a slow dim in the distance of the darkness in the abyss of the earth? And it just slowly kind of warmed up over the horizon. The Bible says when God said, let there be light, 
there was light. But you see, in different days of creation, they put it a little differently. Look with me in verse 6 and 7. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And what are those next four words? It was what? So. Now, if anybody is a big word person like I am, I think words are significant. There's a lot of depth to language that we lose, especially in this generation of texting and cutting everything short. Now people start talking like that out loud. Oh, no way, LOL. I'm like, LOL? What in the world? <laughs> Just laugh. <laughs> but there's a power in words. And so in English, when you see the word so, S-O, the word so means in like manner. Can you say that? In like manner. Or if you want to be a little more less technical, in the same way, according to something else. So when the Bible says, God said, let there be a firmament, eventually the statement is made, it was so. What do you mean so? It was according to what God said. But let's go again to another verse, verse 9. The Bible says, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And what does it say? And it was so. Say, okay. Verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. It seems... We continue on in this pattern, verse 15, we could go on and on. When God says something, the person who's giving us the creation account, which we believe is Moses, he's giving us the historical perspective. He's saying, okay, God said, past tense, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be these trees and plants and food, and it was so. But if we were speaking presently, Right now, in the present tense, Moses would say, God said, you are accepted in the beloved. It is so. It is so, not because you saw it, not because you felt it, but because God said it. That means reality. Listen to what I'm about to say. Reality is determined by the word of God. You see, before there was darkness upon the face of the deep. Yes or no? Yes or no? So there was darkness, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was? Why was there light? Because God said it. Is it because the darkness felt like there was light? Is it because the darkness just has the ability to produce light in and of itself? No. So what are we saying here? What we're saying is, here you have a situation of chaos. Without form and void, God comes to the chaos and he says, listen to me. When I speak to this chaos, my spirit moves first. 
And as the spirit moves in this situation, God says, now I'm about to speak. And when I open my mouth, reality conforms to my words. That means this as our lesson for creation today. It's one thing for us to be in a situation of chaos, crisis, tragedy, problem, emptiness, whatever it is today. Your question must never be, how do I feel? Your question must be, what does God say? Because reality is based on the word of God. It's not based on your feelings. That's according to Genesis 1. So that means the devil's goal must be to make you and I ignorant of what the word of God says. Because if you are ignorant of what the word of God says, you are ignorant of reality. You are living in a fantasy world. In your mind, you think, oh yeah, Jay-Z, all that stuff is real. You have no idea. Reality conforms to the word of God. So there are young people walking around like, I don't feel like I'm forgiven by God. I confess my sin, but I don't feel forgiven. It is not based on your feelings. It is based on the word of God. Therefore, you say, I believe I'm forgiven, not because I feel it, but because God said it. This is the basis of creation. When you walk outside and I walk outside and we see trees, the trees still grow from day one. Because God said it one time. And it is because he said it. So now in every crisis, in every situation that you and I face, it is simply our responsibility. It is to our advantage to become familiar with what the Bible says about my problem. So when the Bible says to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, listen, listen, Sebastian, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. I feel like I'm the only one struggling with pornography. I feel like I'm the only one struggling with anger. I feel like I'm the only one struggling here with loneliness or maybe feel like cutting myself or doing drugs. No, the Bible says your temptation is common, not uncommon. That is reality. Because God said it, it is so. And God is faithful. Who will not suffer you and I to be tempted above what we are able. But will with the temptation provide a way of escape. And when I read that verse, reality is based on what God has said. Not how I feel. I feel like this temptation, there's no way I can resist this. I feel like this is too much. But God's word says, there is no temptation. Not one. That has come upon you. That is uncommon. Your situation, your struggle with evil is not unique. There are many more people struggling than you know. And then I know. So today, it may very well be that some of us need a reality check. You see, go to Genesis chapter 3. 
Go to Genesis chapter 3. I want to give you a practical example of this. Some of us may need a reality check. Genesis chapter 3, we know the temptation. We've heard this story a thousand times, especially if you grew up Adventist. I didn't, so I didn't hear it a thousand, maybe 950. Genesis 3 verse 6 is the saddest verse in the Bible. Whenever you open your television set, your laptop, your computer, and you see some tragedy on the news, it's because of this verse. When you read in your history books about the evil of tribalism and racism, the evil of people conquering other nations and oppressing them, it's because of this verse. Saddest verse in the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. See, the thing that I dislike about this verse as a man is the fact that Eve gets five verses and a half of her temptation. The serpent is talking to her. He's, God, no, you shall not surely. They're having dialogue. Adam, we just get, yeah, she gave him the fruit. He just ate it. As if he's like some dumb Neanderthal. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, no, we've all fallen into sin. There's a lot more than what this verse is saying that meets the eye. The Bible tells us that as Eve takes this fruit, the Bible says she went to give to her husband. Didn't say she force-fed him. She didn't tackle him and hold him down. You're going to eat this fruit. The Bible says she gave it to him. And he ate. He is the subject of the verb. It was a choice that he made. But permit me to color this for you in the context of what we're talking about, about the word of God. You see, God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17, it says, the Lord God commanded the man that of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, the knowledge of evil, you may not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? You will surely what? So now here's Adam, minding his own business, tending to the petunias, whatever he's doing. And all of a sudden, he hears his wife, Adam, Adam. She's running through the garden. And as he's looking, he's like, man, she's carrying a lot of fruit. That's abnormal. Then as she gets closer, he realizes this is the fruit that we were not supposed to eat of. Then she grows up and she says, Adam, listen, I talked to the serpent. I ate the fruit. I feel like I'm in like my eyes are completely opened. You have to try this fruit. And remember, God said that if we eat of it, we will die. The serpent said, you will not surely die. And I ate it, and I'm alive. So here is Adam's mind as he's looking at his wife. This woman was made for him. This is his help meet. The only other human being on the earth. And as she comes to him, and he takes this fruit, and he's thinking in his mind like, okay, I look at Eve, God says she should be dead, but she's not dead. So here's the question, do I trust my 
feelings? Do I trust my experience or do I trust the word of God? See, he could go to his wife and he could hug his wife and say she feels just the same as yesterday. He could smell her hair and he could say she smells just as lovely as she did yesterday. Her smile is the same. In fact, she probably seems a little more happy than she was before. And here's the question. You see, if Eve came over to Adam, right, and as she has the fruit and she sees Adam and she's carrying the fruit and she's dragging her leg and her skin is falling, Adam, Adam, I ate the fruit. There's no temptation. He's like, yep, God's word is true. That's clear. Go ahead. You can. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> I can't help you. Do, look at yourself. Look, come to the water. <laughs> You're dying. <laughs> we weren't supposed to eat the fruit. I'm sorry. I will not join you. This is not Romeo and Juliet. But that's not what happened. Eve looked exactly the same. So Adam is now facing a crisis to say, you have eaten that which God has forbidden, and you are still alive. Let me tell you something. The greatest temptation on this campus is that student who in every other respect is a Christian except for one. We think that we can practice evil in our rooms, in our minds, in private, and it does not affect other students. Eve ate it by herself. Why does she feel the need to give it to Adam? Because she's deceived. She thinks reality is based on her feelings. And when Adam sees Eve coming to him, he's thinking to himself, maybe God's word is not true. Because he said she should be dead, she's alive. But here's the point. Adam, reality is not based on your feelings. It's not based on sight. It's not based on touch. It's not based on smell. It's not based on hearing. Eve may look alive, but she's dying. Let me tell you something right now. That student who can get up and have prayer for a week of prayer, but you know that they're doing some wickedness in secret, they may look like they're living, but they're dying. You may sit there and watch TV and music videos and think, man, these people look so alive. They're enjoying life. Yeah, they're dying. They're dying. You may think, this guy, man, he, he still has powerful insights in the Bible, even though I know he's messing with all kinds of craziness. Maybe I can do this too and still be a Christian. That's how young people get sucked in. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yes or no? Reality check. Reality is based on God's word. See, there's, there are people who think that their ability to do things financially is based on what's in their bank account. No. Reality is based on God's word. You say, wait, wait, wait. How are we going to apply to God? We don't have enough money to pay for this. 
You don't apply because you notice you have enough money in your bank account. If God says, listen, you need to send your child to this place, you need to go to this school, you're like, I feel convicted. This is where God is leading me to go. This is what God is leading me to do. Money is not an issue. Because reality is not based on your bank account. It's based on God's word. You say, Sebastian, you're, you're tripping right now. Because if I apply and they're like, yeah, you owe this much first semester. And you're like, yeah, I, I, God is going to provide somehow. That ain't going to fly on the application. Years ago, my first international trip to preach at the University of Witz in Johannesburg and the University of Gaborone in Botswana. The guy came to me and said, Sebastian, you need to come with us to uh, preach, whatever, whatever. I said, listen, man, right now I'm a missionary. <laughs> I don't have any money. I make $1,000 before taxes and tithe and whatever my living expenses are. So after you take that out, I have maybe $300 to my name. So you're talking about an $1,800 trip plus an extra $500 to cover expenses in Africa. I'm like, you understand, that's like four months of my pay. He's like, listen, brother, you know, you just need to come. Yeah, sure, let's talk about that. In my mind, I'm not going. Then he comes, I'm supposed to leave August 18th. He comes to me August 3rd. I'm at ASI. He walks up, Sebastian, listen, man, did you get your ticket? <laughs> did I get my ticket, $1,800? No, I did not get my ticket. So all of a sudden, this person walks up to me, hands me $800. Just random, hey, here's $800. Okay, thank you. Then they come back, they say, look, at least, the guy's like, look, just ask your local church, man. Just go to Sabbath school and say, look, I'm trying to go to Africa. This is what we're doing, just tell them. So I went to my local church, Sabbath school, stood up. You know, nobody comes to Sabbath school. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> There's more people at church than there are at Sabbath school. So if you're going to advertise for money, you kind of want to wait till divine service. But I didn't have that privilege. So I'm at Sabbath school. Hey, um, we're trying to go to Africa, and um, yeah, I need some money. Everyone's like, okay, sit down. Then I walk in the parking lot, and I'm going to another church the sister church of my, of my pastor, to go tell them at their Sabbath school service. As I'm in the parking lot walking to the car, people start walking up to me, handing me money. Hey, I heard you're trying to go to Africa, da-da-da. Yeah, here's a check. So I collected all the cash. I didn't even count it, put it in a folder, and I drove to the other church. I told them, too. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Hey, everybody, just donate to the church, and then we'll just write Sebastian a check, you know, from the church. Then it's, you know, tax deductible, whatever. Thank you. All right. I go home. Get home, I start counting the money that they gave me in the parking lot, $550. I'm like, whoa. So I'm at $1,300. I have to buy the ticket on Sunday because August 18th is Tuesday. So this lady pulled me aside, elderly woman. She said, Sebastian, come by my house on Sunday if you can. I said, sure. Come to her house. She says, my husband used to be an evangelist. She gave me some Mark Finley sermons. I don't know if you can use these. And then she said, here's $550 for your trip. Then I get a phone call from the other church I went to. They said, yeah, we wanted to donate to you another 
So now, if I calculate that correctly, I'm at about $2,300 to $2,500 in two days. Two days. And I got on a plane, and I was preaching in Africa. Didn't cost me a dime. Just about 12 hours of flying. I simply tell you this story to make this point that Genesis 1 is seeking to make. Regardless of what your situation is or your problem, reality is not based on how you feel. It's not based on what other people say. It's not based on what's popular. Reality is based on God's word. You want to know if you're a real Christian? Look at what Jesus says as a real Christian. He says, you know you are my disciples indeed if you continue in my word. You know you are my disciples if you abide in me. Everything else you can do, but this is what the Bible says. And if we are not abiding, we are not a branch. If we are not a branch, we are not a disciple. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to make a challenge. Two of them, actually. My first appeal is for that young person in this room says, you know, I've been basing a lot of what I believe on how I feel. Is God near me? Is God not near me? I base it on how I feel. Am I doing good today or am I not doing good? I base that on how I feel. And so today, I know that I need a reality check. In other words, I need to accept the fact that reality is not based on my feelings. It's not based on what my mom says. It's not based on what my teachers say. It's based on the word of God. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. And you say, I need a reality check today. I want you just to raise your right hand. You say, I need a reality check. I've been basing reality on what I feel, what I think, what other people say. Put your hands down. Here's my second challenge. My second challenge is, if reality is based on the Word of God, then if we want to be real, we need to acquaint ourselves with God's Word. And so here's my challenge. I want to give a challenge. For two weeks, two weeks from today, it's Tuesday. So in essence, till the end of the month of September. You want to accept the challenge to say, you know what? In every moment that I have free, right? Outside of things that you have to do or things you've committed to do. I want to challenge you to spend time reading or studying or praying over God's word. 
familiarizing yourself with the Bible. For too many of us, we do not spend enough time. And this challenge is simply to say, for the next two weeks, when I got free time, when I'm sitting down and I'm like, you know, I have nothing to do, this is the time I'm going to open God's Word. I'm going to commit to spending time in the Bible every single day, morning, evening, afternoon, whenever that time is, with the intent that if you see and sense a change in your perspective, in your life and in your mind, you say, you know what, I'm going to continue this. I'm going to continue this. You want to accept that challenge, I want to invite you to stand. You're willing to accept that challenge. This is not for everybody. Don't stand just because people are standing. But you want to take seriously. I'm willing to accept that challenge for the next two weeks to spend time in God's Word, morning, evening. If I have free time, I'm not doing homework, I'm not doing this, I'm going to study God's Word. I'm going to study God's Word. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray over it and see how it relates to my situation. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you see those who raised their hands who said, we need a reality check. We've been basing our situations, our feelings, as the basis of reality. Because I feel this way, it is. But we've seen that reality is based on the Word of God. And so when we read something in the Bible, our automatic response is, it is so, because God has said it. And if Jesus says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, then I am forgiven because God has said it, not because I feel it. If he says that I am accepted in the beloved, then it is so because God has said it. If he says that I have a cattle on a thousand hills and all the silver and the gold is mine, it is so because God has said it. If he says that the king's heart is in the Lord's hands and he turns it whithersoever he desires, like the rivers of waters, It is so because God has said it. Lord, help us to see reality through the Bible. And indeed, Jesus is the Word. Lord, we have stood for this purpose and this purpose only, and that is to acquaint ourselves with the Bible. And each individual who is standing has made a decision. They have decided to take time in your word every single day for the next two weeks. Not just in the morning or in the evening, but even throughout the day as time is free. To spend time reading, reflecting, studying, and praying over the Bible. With the intent that if they sense a change, that they would continue this practice to the rest of their lives. Pray that you will bless them. Pray that you would protect them from peer pressure and that those who have not stood for this appeal would support their decision and would encourage them. Father, I pray that you would do marvelous things as we accept this challenge. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.